But first, a story about reconciliation in the wake of the American Revolution. Now, this is not a story about Yankee patriots and British redcoats, but rather about Americans who sided with the revolution and other Americans who sided with the enemy. Those British sympathizers were known as loyalists and amounted to as much as one-fifth of the population. In many senses, the war for independence was a civil war, with neighbors taking up arms against neighbors. And nowhere was the brutality more pronounced than in the South, where militiamen on both sides roamed the backcountry looking to settle personal scores in a virtually lawless environment. In many cases, these men were acting more out of camaraderie with their local leaders than out of any deep ideological commitments. But still, the violence was real. Homesteads were destroyed, women were attacked, and prisoners of war were murdered, all without a red coat in sight. And so you might expect that when the war ended in 1782, retribution for atrocities committed by loyalists would be swiftly meted out by the patriot victors. But this was not the case. Historian Rebecca Brannan has written about the reintegration of loyalists in South Carolina. She told me what that state's leaders did with the men who had taken up arms against them. For 200 and some unlucky men, they confiscated all their property and they banished them forever from the state. They withdrew their citizenship. Oh, that sounds pretty severe, yeah. That's pretty severe. Um, and for another 62, I believe the number is, those 62 have to pay a one-time levy or tax uh, mm -hmm. on the entire value of their estate. And it ranges between about 12 and 25 percent, depending on how punitive the legislature wanted to be. Well, this is legislation that pretends to be punitive, but actually offers terms. Let's yes. talk. Let's negotiate. And then uh, most of the people named on those lists petition, and those petitions are usually successful. Uh, the few who don't manage to get away from this punitive legislation, it's usually because there's very specific damaging information about things they did, like one Cooper who deliberately made bad barrels so the meat to defend Charleston from the British would go bad, and then Whoa. he bragged about it. Foolish man. Foolish man, yes. You, you know, this legislation really only sounds punitive in retrospect. Uh, everybody in 1784 agreed that it, had it been applied, it would have been punitive for the few people to whom it applied. <laughs> right. It doesn't sound like a, a, a nasty and vicious and, and vengeance-driven reconstruction. And then in the next two years, uh, the loyalists themselves really decide to make a case for reintegration, and they apologize. Even if they're not very good at it, even if they find it painful, they apologize to their neighbor. Tell us about the, these apologies. <laughs> it sounds extraordinary. I'm sorry that we pillaged your plantation and Oops. killed various relatives. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, they don't usually admit to anything criminal. Oh, that's oh, in their okay. Apologies. So they don't really apologize, do they? Some of them don't really apologize. Yeah. You get these occasional ladders. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'll get 50 neighbors who will sign a petition to the legislature saying, this former loyalist, he's a good guy. He's made up with us. Uh, we think he's a really good, dependable neighbor. And we're 50 of us are willing to sign our name to this. <laughs> Rebecca, why would 50 <laughs> neighbors who identify with the revolution be willing to forgive some jerk who uh, pillages the neighborhood and kills people? Uh, explain it. At its heart, they decide that a, a society that's obsessed with punishing people is a society that's not what they want. Uh -huh. There's this 1784 story where William Drayton is traveling through the backcountry, 
and he stays with a local landlord who casually tells him, well, you know, I'm actually packing to move. Mm-hmm. And Drayton asks why. And he says, well, the neighbors are still mad at me. <laughs> uh, why? Okay, well, during the revolution, um, I killed three of my neighbors. And it's not entirely clear whether he actually killed them on the battlefield or whether they're trying to surrender. And this yeah. may be the issue. And then he starts talking to Drayton, this, you know, this hardened loyalist battlefield. Oh, but I could have gotten a lot more shots. I should have. I mean, I really oh, well, didn't do well, well that battle. And you get this idea of this incredibly battle-hardened man. Unrepentant. Could, yeah. Unrepentant. And you could tell this story one way and say, oh, you know, God, of course they're going to threaten him with lynch law. Uh, and they threatened, you know, we're going to kill you if you don't leave. But the other way to understand this is they gave him until 1784 to apologize for mm-hmm. what they thought of as war atrocities. Rebecca, let's uh, step back now and, and sure. uh, see if we can get the moral of the story. And what happened after 1782 very quickly is that neighborhoods, in effect, forgave the transgressors. Uh, the winners declared a peace. And those people who had been identified as neighbors were forgiven. What do you draw from that? That a sense of neighborliness and a sort of citizenship as lived obligation to other people Mm -hmm. that you have to demonstrate over time has been part of the United States a long time. That it's part of the vision uh, for every great word uh, the founding fathers spoke about individual rights. Mm Mm-hmm. They also had in mind the individual obligation to the whole. Right. That's what loyalists were able to use to convince uh, the victorious patriots to let them back in. Yeah. And then it, it has staying power. Right. So uh, it's the forgiveness, which you've suggested is kind of a model for reconciliation. But could it also be argued that it's a sense that the entire community had fallen apart, that there was no order and there was a desperate need for order. Is that the same thing as reconciliation, or is that uh, everybody has, a, in effect, a bad war in South Carolina? The sooner you put it behind, the better. I certainly think there are moments where they are all haunted by the realization of just mm. how thin the veneer of civilization can be. Right, right. I certainly think that they uh, worked very hard to excise any mention of the loyalists and any mention, therefore, of disunity. Right. Um, in the revolution, and they do it by not talking about it. It's not talked about in public. And it's remarkable when they choose the battles to commemorate. They don't necessarily choose the battles that were um, most militarily interesting or were Mm -hmm. the hardest to win. They choose the ones that seem to emphasize unity. Right. And this works because then the next generation and the generation after it sort of have forgotten that there were loyalists. Mm -hmm. And, And occasionally... The descendants of loyalists are themselves aware of this fact, um, but it's not clear the people they interact with every day are or think about it. Uh, Invoking that contemporary uh, idea of truth and reconciliation, uh, the modeled in South Africa, in South Carolina, you have reconciliation without truth. Yes, absolutely. And it appeared to work really well. Right, until it didn't. (laughs) <laughs> Until it didn't. Um, I, I do think there's a way in which, and I should emphasize, this is white South Carolinians. Yes, For of those who, black people who chose the, the British cause, they had to leave. Mm-hmm. But for white South Carolinians, they do a really, really good job of, uh, as you say, <laughs> forgetting and forgetting the truth while they're at it. Right. 
So much so that they actually use the American Revolution and the legacy of the American Revolution to talk themselves into the American Civil War. Obviously, there's other reasons for the American Civil War, but when you read what they wrote, they always see themselves as uh, preserving the true legacy mm. of the American Revolution, that they're the, all the patriots now. And it's hard for me not to find sort of chilling echoes of the way that they'd managed yeah, to forget yeah. what happens when you rip the top off Pandora's box. So you sound deeply conflicted to me and ambivalent about yes. uh, your subject. And that is, on the one hand, you admire the speed with which uh, apologies, forgiveness, reconciliation healed, or at least put a big bandage over the wounds of war in South Carolina. But then you say down the line there may be a price you pay for that kind of uh, speedy reconciliation. I think I am because I think that they lost the chastening voice that reminded them why you don't court civil war. Rebecca Brannon is a history professor at James Madison University. Her book, Due Out Soon, is Burying the Hatchet in South Carolina, Healing the Wounds of Revolutionary Civil War. <laughs> 